Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right. So um, last summer, we took a little getaway to yeah. Saugatuck. It was wonderful. First time I'd, I, I probably had been through it at a certain point. But oh, I know I'd been through right. it. It had just been a, quite a long time. But yeah. It was the first time it was a destination. And uh, we worked a lot into a very short amount of time. And it was a blast. It was. Beautiful walk uh, down the beach. And then we walked and checked out some of the shops. It's just got such a great vacation vibe to it. Well, you know, we're such nerds, though, that uh, <laughs> even on vacation, we're like, uh, I wonder what the history is of this area. <laughs> first thing I do is get on Wikipedia, <laughs> type in the name of the city I'm in. I did the same thing when we were in Sheboygan the year before. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And I found an interesting little nugget. And um, again, I've been sitting on this one for what, eight months now? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it was like last September. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Um, in searching through uh, history of Saugatuck, I found out that they originally had a different name. Yeah. And that name was Kalamazoo. What? Yeah. The name Kalamazoo, of course, is one of the most unique and original city names in the entire country. And there are a few other towns named Kalamazoo across the country. Well, maybe we'll talk about that sometime. But... Uh, the one in Michigan, of course, is the most well-known thanks to the references in music and pop culture over the years. That's really interesting. Yep, but a long time ago, before the Kalamazoo currently located in Kalamazoo County got its name, there was another Michigan town, Saugatuck, as we're talking about, that briefly called itself Kalamazoo Village, located right along the shores of Lake Michigan. Uh, uh, so a European-American settler named William C. Butler arrived in the area that is currently the city of Saugatuck in Allegan County in 1830. He credited it with establishing what is the, uh, then called Kalamazoo Village. By 1833, he had purchased land and plotted out the village. And here's the connection to the actual current Kalamazoo. In 1836, the Michigan State Legislature gave the current city of Kalamazoo, which had been called Bronson, as many know, uh, its name, and it was mm. likely for continuity reasons that Arcadia Township was renamed Kalamazoo Township at that time as well. Of course, Kalamazoo originally named after founder Titus Bronson, who people ended up not liking very much. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to get into that a little bit more when I was putting this story together well, the, yesterday. Yeah, it's like a whole story in and of itself. It really is. Uh, he was kind of chased out of town. And Basically. We do have a Bronson in Michigan, too. I don't know if he ever lived there. I, I think he may have briefly lived there before leaving the state. Right. But there is a Bronson Park in downtown Kalamazoo. Yes. And, of course, there's Bronson Hospital and Bronson names all over the place for other things. But not, not the name of the city. Sorry. Sorry, Titus. Get out. <laughs> but Kalamazoo Village, the one in Saugatuck, had to come up with a new name. Uh, for a while, they decided to name it after the township it was in called Newark or Newark. Uh, an unnamed postmaster was the first one to suggest the name Saugatuck, which is a Native American term for a stream outlet. Mm. And so the post office there actually took that name before Saugatuck incorporated as a village in 1868. And this kind of surprised me, too. It wasn't until 1984 what? that Saugatuck officially incorporated as a city. 
Yeah, today it's, of course, a very popular tourist and vacation destination with thousands of visitors every year, including us. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And we're planning to go back there again and maybe spend a little more time there. But um, so part of the reason, and I, I couldn't confirm this, and I didn't put this in the article, but... I believe the reason it was called Kalamazoo Village mm-hmm. is because the Kalamazoo River empties out into Lake Michigan uh, in Saugatuck or near Saugatuck anyway. But I was trying to figure out when the Kalamazoo River got its name to see if that was the actual connection. And I may do more research. I just couldn't confirm yeah. it. Yeah, I, I think if I'm not mistaken, um, I think you are correct. I think the river was already known as Kalamazoo um, because it was like a... Uh, Native American term for like uh, white waters or something to that effect. Something like that. And the river does go through Algon. Of course, the dam is there. And so I think it keeps following up. I think when we went there last summer, we went over the Kalamazoo River like six or seven times as it went back and forth uh, across the or underneath the roads we were on. That kind of reminds me of my road trips uh, heading down south or from from uh, the south back up because uh, there's a few states like Georgia, for instance, that has some weird borders when you're traveling some of the normal routes you would take mm-hmm. um, where you're in and out of it about five or six times. And it's like, all right, we're out. And oh, <laughs> we're back a mile down the road. <laughs> well, if you want to read about the original Kalamazoo located along the Lake Michigan shoreline, There's a nice article with some information and links to other fun things at 953wbck.com. Okay, and joining us now is Ron Rademacher with another trip down Michigan's back roads. How are you doing today, Ron? Doing terrific. How are you? I am doing well. Uh, We were just talking uh, before we came out about uh, not enjoying this weather, but you had a (laughs) silver lining. Yeah, silver lining. This is the weather you need. Uh, to encourage the massive growth of morel mushrooms in a few weeks. Oh, very. So get very, that moisture in the ground because once it starts warming up and there's plenty of moisture, those babies will pop. Oh, and that's one of my favorite times of the year, too. I just, those things are so delicious and valuable. So delicious, yeah. I end up, uh, it's tough for me because I just can't find them. I'm not good at it either. Oh. I have a friend, yeah, I have a friend that is incredible. At finding them. I don't know how he does it. Yeah, yeah I have too. And he, my friend happens to be a capitalist. So I have to pie. <laughs> you know, I am good at, I'm good at finding them, but I don't enjoy eating them. So you guys should uh, pair up with me. There you go. Absolutely. I'll, I'll cook them if you'll find them. Uh-oh. Sounds so, like a and I want to jump in. If I, if I might, you guys were talking earlier about the, um, the, a name that uh, Sagatuck used to have. Kalamazoo. Yeah. 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 You know, it had another name before that. Really? It did. Just north just north of where uh, Sag- uh, Sagatuck sits now, there was a little town called The Flats. The Flats. The huh? Flats. And The Flats was known as Singapore. Excuse me, Sagatuck was known as The Flats. The town north of there was known as Singapore. Huh. And Singapore, back in the day, was buried by a, a dancing sand dune. <laughs> And it was so devastating, the townspeople simply picked the whole works up and moved it to where Saugatuck is now. And it was then called the Flats, which then became Kalamazoo, Kalamazoo Village, which then became Saugatuck. You know, I think I did hear a story. I didn't realize it was uh, Saugatuck or or Singapore or Kalamazoo, whatever you want to call it. But uh, I did hear a story about a town that had to move completely because of dunes. Yeah, that was it. In fact, I believe that they're in the process of excavating that site. Oh, wow. uh, Right now. So, you know, the archaeologists are out there working. So that's a a good follow-up story. We'll have to look and know what's going on with that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for bringing that to our attention.
Yeah, I'm, I'm just a font of almost useless information. You know, anytime I, <laughs> if you want to know something about Michigan, I probably know the most obscure fact about it. Well, that's what <laughs> so, we love. Uh, but yeah. so, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so we we need a date. We need a road trip, right? Right? Yeah. And the weather is dreadful. Uh-huh. I mean, nobody. You know, we we go out hiking in this weather because we do it for our physical fitness. But uh, a, a great indoor destination, especially for families with kids is the IQ Hub Discovery Center in St. John's, Michigan. Have you ever been there? No. So this is a, it's called an an, an agriculture activity center, but it's a lot more than that. There's 9,000 plus square feet there. Wow. With uh, more than 20 museum quality exhibits, but it's all about the history and practice of agriculture in in America and especially Michigan. And they have displays there you're not going to see anywhere else. They have, uh, And it's great for kids because they, they have displays going on right now that are teaching about phosphate and how um, that's import- potassium, for instance, is important for the nutrients of plants. Well, it was discovered by boiling wood ash. Now, don't ask me why somebody said, oh, look, we got, some, we got some wood ash here. Let's boil it and see what we get. <laughs> right. I have no idea how these, the chain of events, how these things are discovered. But without that, uh, you have a heck of a time growing your your vegetable garden then they teach about grinding bones they used to have grinding bones back in the day and they have the only working bone grinder in michigan in this exhibit and you would grind bones to get um to get phosphorus Ah. so that uh uh, you could you know that's important for plants so they teach kids agriculture and how things are grown and how to take care of your plants and the value of hard work to take care of your garden and then how that goes to feed animals and how you get all your goodies and where your chicken McNuggets actually come from. Ah, <laughs> it's not the pink uh, slime. Yeah. <laughs> now they've got, now they do have one exhibit there before we run out of time that I have to mention because you've got, no doubt you've gone for a drive and you've seen these enormous house-sized tractors. Oh, yes. Now. And, you know, they're sitting way up there, and they're not driving it. It's all being run by satellites and GPS. They just program the thing, and they're riding around up there just in case anything goes wrong. Mm. Well, they have a simulator at the IQ Hub that you can climb into and actually drive one of those things. <laughs> wow. That would be a lot and of fun. Few, well, that's the problem. A lot of children never get to use it because their dads and uncles are up there hogging the thing <laughs> and, and won't let the kids get in and have their turn. So uh, it's a great, great place. Uh, they have, you know, all kinds of fantastic educational programs. But if you got a rainy, nasty day and the kids say, you know, go, 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 go there because it teaches them all about, you know, growing plants right from seed and some very good life lessons about the value of perseverance and hard work. Absolutely. So. That absolutely sounds like a great way to spend a, a rainy, dreary day otherwise. Uh, if people want to find out yeah. more information on this, what, where do they go? The best place to go is michiganbackroads.com. And uh, there's a map there showing every region of the state. There's also one page that has all these destinations listed alphabetically. So you, you know, all you got to do is re- be able to remember what part of the state it was in, and you can find the things I'm talking about. All right. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Ron Rademacher, a trip down Michigan's back roads. And we'll talk to you again uh, in a couple weeks. Yeah, we're going to start talking about trails. So nice. stick with me. i got some great trails to get out and walk. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Good morning, Brandon. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. It's my Happy Friday song. <laughs> That's an awful song. 
Well, it's short and it's over. So. Well, it's a good thing you're not competing on a reality show, huh? No, I am no Ada Leanne. There you go. Uh, so, yeah, this is a crazy, crazy pothole. <laughs> yeah. You saw this posted on Facebook somewhere, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, I woke up yesterday morning and I, I saw this, so I reached out to the gentleman that posted. This photo is being circulated widely online, and uh, his tags for it are pretty great, Pure Michigan. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, it's, he, and you can see the photo on our website. At um, 953wbck.com, but he, he is literally standing in this huge crater pothole. It's up to his knees. Yes, and, and he's, he's got a, a child standing next to him. I'd assume that uh, is his son, perhaps. He, lo- he looks like he's a tall person, too. Yeah, so. that's what I thought so, too. I, I should have asked him how tall he was, but uh, <laughs> looking at this photo, um, he does not appear to be a short person. And I like you call it a pothole on steroids. <laughs> uh, when they're that deep, yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be a car killer. It's located in a rural area between Union City and Athens, and it is quite possibly currently the biggest pothole in all of Calhoun County. You know, what's kind of funny is that uh, before the flowers bloom or the trees bud, a sure sign of spring in Michigan is the growing potholes. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows Michigan residents are expert growers of apples and cherries, but how many outside of the state would realize we have this ability to grow some of the biggest potholes in the U.S.? Yeah, there was one a few weeks ago we were talking about in the Portage area where they're working on the, the highway widening and it, they kept trying to fix it and it just kept going back down. Oh, on I-94? Yeah. That that three-bedroom apartment uh, (laughs) that uh, gets uh, lots of fresh air and uh, is still available, from what I understand. Yeah. Well, I (laughs) I think they've been able to keep that one at bay uh, lately. I haven't heard about it anyway in the last few weeks. No, I think they've got it fixed for now, at least. But, uh, and, you know, if there's other ones that you've uh, noticed, especially really big ones, you can let us know, 269-441-9595. We have time to take a couple of calls and... Yeah, uh, Daniel Blasky found this pothole. It's uh, quite impressive in size as uh, he is a full-grown man standing in it with both (laughs) legs. Uh, The hole comes up to his knees, and he was even kind enough to share the location so hopefully others can avoid losing a small child or a tire in it, perhaps. (laughs) Uh, This pothole is located on the east side of W Drive South at the intersection of Six Mile Road, and that's in an area between Athens and Union City. (laughs) And uh, I did get confirmation uh, when I wrote this yesterday wasn't sure if it was a county road or who was in charge of it, but it is. It's a Calhoun County road. So uh, as widely circulated as this photo has been, I have got my fingers crossed that this will be fixed uh, perhaps by next week if the weather cooperates. Well, if nothing else, at least maybe put something up so that people avoid the area or- Or plant a tree. Or plant a tree in there. (laughs) It looks like if if the kid had gotten in there, it might come up to his shoulders. I think think maybe more than that, perhaps- it's such a cute I think photo that whole kid may fit in there, and you might only see the top of his uh, blue hat that he's wearing in this photo. Yep, of course, potholes are a big source of scorn every year in Michigan. The politicians have used the idea of fixing our roads as a campaign slogan. Of course, we all know that Governor Gretchen Whitmer had her famous phrase that we still hear sometimes. I won't say it right now. I don't, I just, it's not even because there's a, a, a minor swear word in it. Yeah. I just don't like saying it. Okay. And I don't like saying fix the darn roads either. Um, you can say it if you want. Fix the darn roads? No, the the actual one. <laughs> I dare you. I double dare you. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, that was one of her big campaign promises. And of course, a lot of people are saying, so what happened with that? Now, to be a little bit fair, we this did, is not a state road. So. We, well, and we did have a pandemic. Well, that too. <laughs> kind of unexpected. Uh, but I will say, um, 
Uh, it's not an endorsement of a politician, but uh, I see a lot of work happening on roads. They do their best. And again, you know, Michigan, just the, the way our weather is, and, you know, again, I'm not saying there's maybe not better solutions. A lot of people have said why, um, with all the advances we've had in so many other areas, how why aren't come, we doing something better with our roads? How come there's not something better to, uh, pave them with that doesn't do this. Well, you know, they have tried different things. There's, uh, even if you go on to I-94, you will see areas where um, from time to time they'll have signs up and uh, the area of the road will look a little different, different colored perhaps, and they'll say it's a test area to see see if this holds up. Right. Um, So apparently just nothing better has come along yet. Yep, but yeah, we all know there's some bad ones and it's it's kind of like the daylight saving time thing. We talk about it every year when it happens. Uh, but that picture, when you showed me that uh, yesterday before you wrote the article, I was like, wow, that's yeah. crazy. That is a crazy pothole. Um, you know, every once in a while, you'll see one even more impressive uh, quite a few years back. I believe it was either Benton Harbor or South Haven. There was one where a school bus <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it got stuck in it. I remember and this It wasn't one. a pothole, though. It was a part of a water main break that had washed away uh, the ground underneath the roadway. So oh not quite uh, not quite a pothole, at least. Well, we'll continue to pass along any that we come across, uh, especially ones like that that have like a cute, funny aspect to them. So uh, Rank discovered a piece of history that I find very strange. Uh, a Battle Creek man was buried alive back in 1846. That is so crazy. Um, I just, you know, it, it was reported at the time that he had died of kidney difficulties. Um, and uh, it's it's a real tragedy. Michael Delaware is, of course, a, a area resident that uh, loves to share his finds on history and his take on history. And he had actually did a video about this. Yeah. And actually, we're going to try to get him onto the show because uh, he has all sorts of cool stuff he shares. And we would love to have some of that featured. Uh, we're going to get in touch with him and work on that. So Dorrance Williams was a man that came to Battle Creek in 1928. He was a land surveyor. Uh, in 1831, he purchased about 400 acres on Gogwak Prairie, just south of downtown Battle Creek. He was buried in 1846, and then his grave dug up to be moved to another part of the cemetery. That is when things got uh, a little interesting and perhaps a little spooky. The people who dug up the grave discovered that they believe is evidence that he was buried alive. Oh my gosh. And uh, again, there is a video that uh, gets a little bit deeper into this that Dorrance Williams put together. We have a link to the the YouTube video, his page at 953wbck.com. Um so you'll have to get what that evidence was. I'm going to guess that there was evidence that he was trying to claw his way out. Ugh. That is awful. Uh, how many people are buried alive accidentally each year? Well, it's a good question, and uh, there's not a lot of facts on that. But with today's advanced medical equipment and uh, technology, we can assume uh, that doesn't happen too often anymore. No, it doesn't. Uh, techniques to confirm that someone is deceased have come a long way from the 1840s, uh, as well as many other things related to the medical you know, world. like electricity? Yeah. Well... <laughs> You know that meme that we really like about old, old-timey old doctors? <laughs> we won't talk about that one. But uh, there were other people who did die uh, that were buried alive back in 1822, 1867, 1915, and 1937. A little too more recent for comfort. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with a look at your weather. But you know there's one positive thing uh, with the weather today. 
Yeah. There's no mosquitoes. Yeah, no. Too cold for the mosquitoes, not the stink bugs, though. But No, nope, nothing <laughs> seems to kill them. <laughs> yeah, th- those things could survive n- a nuclear Armageddon, I know I swear. we people joke about that often with uh, various different uh, creatures that walk this <laughs> earth, but you might be right. Yep, but well, spring is here. Summer just around the corner. Spring-like weather. We'll, re- we'll be back. We know that. And it means it's time to start planning for the gardens and landscaping. And although surrounding yourself with growing beauty and delicious fruits and vegetables is the main focus for gardeners, there's also an opportunity to put those plants to work, Lacey. Yes, you could uh, let those plants work for you. Uh, most Michiganders will admit when it comes to mosquitoes, our state seems to be bombarded with them when summer arrives. Uh, the city of Detroit actually ranks seventh on Orkin's list of most mosquito-ridden cities. Unfortunately, in 2021, mosquitoes in Michigan uh, tested positive for Triple E, something that's uh, been reoccurring for the last few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the disease affects both horses as well as humans, which means uh, steering clear of getting bit by them is kind of a must. Yep. And uh, over the past few years, there's been more talk about the pros and cons of using insect repellent due to the chemicals in them. Although it is still a good way to protect yourself from those little blood suckers known as mosquitoes. Uh, Many are now looking for natural alternatives to try to protect themselves from getting uh, bitten. Yeah, and uh, there are nine plants that uh, you can put outside in your yard and around your home that'll help deter those pesky little bloodsuckers. Some of those plants uh, include basil. Yeah, basil is great for using in cooking as well, of course, but it is an insect-repelling herb that can sometimes stop mosquitoes from coming into your yard. Uh, marigolds are also great. They're a simple flower that uh, usually is pretty low maintenance and they bring more than just a little bit of bright color to your garden. The scent is highly unattractive to mosquitoes as well as other animals that you would want to deter. Yep. And this one I know that cats don't like, but uh, peppermint uh, has a strong fragrance, uh, fragrance not only mosquitoes hate, uh, but even ants and mice as well. It's good to add to a patio herb garden container for small spaces. But didn't we try um, peppermint to try to keep cats out of some of the areas we didn't want them to go? Yeah, we had uh, cats that were eating plants. uh, And it was not only bad for the plant, it was bad for the cats. And we gave it a try. I I think it helped a little bit. All right, the next one, Lacey, garlic. Yeah, well, if you think about it, mosquitoes are little bloodsuckers, just like vampires, so it (laughs) makes sense that they wouldn't be big fans of garlic either. Some of them even suggest uh, just eating garlic leaves to get the scent and taste in your bloodstream is enough to keep those bugs from wanting to munch on you. Another one is rosemary. will help prevent both mosquitoes and flies from ruining your outdoor fun during the warm months. Uh, If you're grilling near sunset, throw a couple of sprigs onto the grill and you can get that smell in the air and it will keep the bugs away. Lavender is also a great one. Uh, Lavender smells fantastic and it helps you kind of relax too. It's also a magnet for pollinators like butterflies and honeybees, but mosquitoes dislike lavender. So having it around your home will keep them away. And lavender is quite pretty too. Uh, Citronella, you can buy those candles for your backyard, but why not? plant some actual citronella right in the garden. There's a strong odor that uh, the plant gives off, and it too keeps mosquitoes away. Um, This one's kind of fun. Uh, The cats will enjoy this. You might end up with an extra cat or two in your yard. (laughs) Catnip. Your cat will love it, but the mosquitoes will hate it. Studies even have shown that uh, one of the chemical compounds in it, uh, uh, in catnip, are effective at uh, repelling mosquitoes better than DEET. 
Hmm. And uh, the main component in traditional store-bought mosquito sprays uh, as, well, so how come, and maybe they are, um, not doing these. Oh, I forgot we have one more. I'm sorry. Yeah, there is one I, more. I got ahead of myself. Lemongrass. All right. It's a, has a high citral and oil used in mosquito repellents, and uh, the plant tastes great in soups and other dishes. So some of these serve multiple uses. So if some of these work better than DEET, how come we aren't seeing more of these on store shelves that are formulated into like a spray or something? I wonder if they're just not as long lasting, mm. perhaps. But when you have the actual plant in your yard, uh, that's a different story. But maybe the oils yeah. break down too quickly. Maybe Maybe they don't last on the skin long enough when you're sweating. Uh, obviously, you have to keep reapplying anyways. So. Good points. Uh, and if you want to check out some of these plants, and we even have photos of each and every one of them, uh, you can go to 953wbck.com. Uh, it's a natural alternatives and plants to keep mosquitoes away. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with a look at your news. 953wbck. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I can't get over saying it. <laughs> um, so you were watching a press conference that was being held in Georgia yesterday uh, related to a missing persons case out of Michigan. That's right. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Nina Instead, uh, follows a lot of these things. And she had uh, posted about this and got me uh, a link to watch the press conference as it happened. But some uh, good news, uh, still sad news, of course, a Michigan woman that was missing for almost 34 years um, was identified yesterday as a Jane Doe that had been found in Georgia. And she was found in Georgia the same year that she was reported missing, back in 1988. That is correct. Uh, police in Georgia say the 19-year-old who went missing in Michigan in 1988 uh, was identified as the rising fawn Jane Doe. Her body found December 16, 1988 in Georgia, the town uh, also call, called uh, rising fawn. Uh, Stacy Lynn Chorosky, uh, just 19 years old, on September 15, 1988, it was the last time her family heard from her. Her mother had spoken with her by the telephone and uh, she told her mom she was in North Carolina and planned to travel back to Michigan. Yep, and her, so her mother filed a missing persons report with the Norton Shores Police Department in Michigan on January 17th of 1989, but no one ever saw or heard from Stacy again. And then on December 16th, 1988, in Fawn River, Georgia, two Georgia Department of Transportation workers found an unknown woman's body along the east side of Interstate 59. And that is an area that's just 30 minutes south of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and about five miles away from the Alabama state line. And the investigators at the time believed that she had been murdered at a different location, then brought to the embankment off the road and dumped there uh, perhaps days or even a week before she had been found. And uh, authorities there, they buried her in an unmarked grave in Dade County, Georgia in 1988. Yep, uh, numerous law enforcement agencies have been working on the two cases over the years. I mean, even though it's the same person, they didn't know they were connected. So two separate cases, uh, but it wasn't until a week ago that the identity of rising fawn Jane Doe and the fate of missing Stacy Chahorsky of Michigan uh, were put together. That's right. Uh, through DNA and genealogy, uh, genealogy investigation, the two cases were finally brought together. Uh, Stacy's family was notified uh, about a week ago. And they are making plans right now uh, to bring her back to Michigan after 34 years. But now there's a new case. Uh, law enforcement say they now are looking for Stacy's killer. Yeah, maybe uh, I'm going to guess they're going to take the investigations out of Georgia and the investigations out of Michigan and just kind of look through everything and 
see if they can find any other connections other than than her identity. That's my guess. I would imagine uh, maybe maybe her mom had let the police know at the time that she was traveling with somebody, and perhaps that's a lead that they can now follow. Uh, but, you know, again, the good side of this is the family is finally getting closure after 34 years. It's It's got to be And she's going to be brought thing. back home. Right. They can do a proper burial and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, you, you know... With What's amazing, ones- though, if, is if you look at the, the photo on the story, um, the sketch that they drew of the Jane Doe, um, there is quite the resemblance yeah, to Stacy. Those people that, that do the sketches are incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing how they're able to take what people are telling them. I mean, they don't have anything to go off of. I know in this case, you know, they had clues, but like sometimes if they're trying to get a description of a suspect and they bring in those sketch artists, it's just amazing how they're able to to make it look exactly like the person that they're trying to identify or in this case, um, the, uh, this Jane Doe. That's right. Uh, but that you can see the sketch and uh, you can see a photo of Stacy as well as even see video of that press conference that was held yesterday in Georgia um, with the sheriff's department down there as well as uh, the Georgia Bureau of Investigations. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with a look at your weather. Yeah, I wonder if this is true. Babe Ruth's first professional home run baseball sits in Lake Ontario. <laughs> I just love the idea of it because... If you think about it, his first home run would have been before everyone knew, knew Babe what, Ruth. what was going to happen. With it him. might yeah. have been before he even had the nickname, the Babe. Right. He was George Herman Ruth Jr. That was his official name. Uh, earned nicknames like Babe Ruth and the Great Bambino. Uh, and of course, he's gone down in history as one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Uh, he had a storied career with 22 seasons playing in the major leagues. But, of course, the greatest of all time, no matter who they are, they start with humble beginnings sometimes. Yep, and uh, before Babe Ruth famously joined the Baltimore Orioles, he was a rookie pitcher for the minor league Providence Grays in 1914. And legend has it that during his time playing for the Providence Grays, Babe Ruth hit his first ever professional career home run during a game in Toronto, Canada. Yep, the stadium was located on the shores of Lake Ontario. So, do you think it might be possible that the ball is still sitting at the bottom of the lake. It would be amazing. The game in question took place September 5th, 1914 at Hanelin's Point Stadium in Toronto Island, often called the Coney Island of Canada. The baseball stadium was located right on the water and was home to the minor league baseball team, the Toronto Maple Leafs. This was at a time when they were a baseball team and not a hockey team. Huh. I never knew there was a Toronto Maple Leafs baseball team. I'm learning all sorts of stuff from the story. Um, during the top of the sixth inning, when Babe Ruth stepped up to bat, there was two on and two out. I feel like an announcer all of a sudden. <laughs> Ruth swung and made contact with the ball, sending it, as some fans would recount, over the right field wall and out of the park, making it his first ever home run as a pro. However, not everyone is convinced the ball actually left the park, like uh, Barry Namark, a member of the Society for American Baseball Research, who calls the story mythical. In fact, uh, baseball historian Bill Humbler told Andrew Norton the account of the game uh, the day after the Star Weekly says it was hit into the bleachers. Mm. So several things would have happened to the ball potentially. One, it would have simply been thrown back into the game, or it could have been kept by a young fan. It would have been taken home, used, played with, and eventually lost or eventually worn out like many balls that get used over and over again. Yeah, time, uh, not kind to it, I'm sure. He added, the bottom line is it doesn't matter what the story was, whether the ball is in the water 
or the bleachers because we have now invested it with meaning. I love this. We may never truly know the fate of Babe Babe Ruth's first home run ball. I like to think that it's a a sunken treasure at the bottom of Lake Ontario just waiting to be discovered. But you see, my guess would be if um, this ballpark was so close to Lake Ontario, if they ever decided to try to look for it, they're probably going to find a whole bunch of baseballs from other home runs of less significant people. (laughs) I don't know how you'd be able to identify it as the one. You know what it's bringing to mind, too? Um, mm. Unrelated, sort of. What? Um, did you hear about the guy uh, who purchased the, the last touchdown pass that Tom Brady uh, threw? No. For $500,000? Okay. Well, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's out of retirement. One day later, <laughs> Tom Brady announced that he was unretiring, making that football virtually worthless because I'm pretty sure Tom Brady's going to throw another touchdown pass when he comes back this fall. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm going to guess that that fan uh, is a little bit less of a fan now. Actually, he's not because here's what happened. Tom Brady heard about it and uh, actually reached out to the fan and I... I th- he did something strange, like offered him a big investment in Bitcoin or something. <laughs> Some Bitcoin? I don't and know. That, and then they called it even? I I guess. I don't know. but uh. <laughs> <laughs> you, said, you said it was good. I was like, what? He's going to give him the last ball for real this time? <laughs> give him his money back? I'm sure. <laughs> Buy the ball back from him. <laughs> yeah, right. There's a whole bunch of scenarios, but Bitcoin? You know what? The that be- sounds like a scam. I think the best <laughs> thing he could do is say, when I actually retire for real... I'll let you have that That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with a look at your weather. 3 WBCK. Uh, Joining us now is Scott Bertram from the Radio uh, Free Hillsdale Hour. How are you doing today, Scott? Everything's going well. How are you? I would be a lot better if we didn't have this uh, spotty wintry mix happening. (laughs) Well, give it a week. It is uh, technically spring, right? It's here. So it it is not that far away. You can look forward to, well, probably more rain since it is spring. But at least it'll be a bit warmer. And we don't have any mosquitoes right now. So that's a plus. That that is not true. Come by my house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Scott, I I like to mention the the wintry weather towards you because I know you you have a fondness for the snow. And so I personally, uh, unfairly, like to blame you for all of this mess. As long as you're thinking about me, that's what matters. <laughs> Make sure you're thinking about me. All right. Yes, do- the, the mosquitoes. The mosquitoes sprung. Uh, t- uh, I think two weeks ago around the house here. We've got we've got mosquito bites happening outside as we're playing basketball and having fun. Oh, oh you're right. definitely going to need some of those plants we were just talking about uh, that are supposed to keep <laughs> them away. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, we- Simon Link, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got the Radio Free Hillsdale Hour coming on the radio tomorrow morning. Uh, what's going on this weekend? Talking first on this week's show with Dan Copeland, who's uh, dean of our new graduate school of classical education. And we'll have more about that in a future episode. This week, though, he joins us. Uh, he wrote a, an essay over at the Washington Examiner recently uh, telling us how to fix the teacher shortage crisis, which you may have been hearing about and getting worse the past two, three years. How do we how do we get more into the pipeline for some of these jobs? Dan Copeland has ideas. He shares them on this week's show. We talk with historian Ryan Walters. His latest book is The Jazz Age President. It's a defense of President Warren Harding. Uh, lots of uh, people on the right, conservatives, are big Calvin Coolidge fans, and rightfully so. But Warren Harding was just before Coolidge, and uh, Ryan makes the argument that uh, you know policies were somewhat similar. And Harding, of course, uh, passed away in office, so he had a short term, and perhaps if he had a full term, we would appreciate him more. 
Warren Harding discussion with Ryan Walters. Uh, Deidre Berzer, one of our lecturers of history here at Hillsdale, is back for her occasional series. We go through the Little House series from Laura Ingalls Wilder. And this time we talk about some of the themes that are recurrent across those books, which many people love. And finally, one of our fine alumni, alumnus, and alumnus, uh, Forrester McClatchett, 2016 graduate of Hillsdale. Uh, he was heavily involved in both our, our writing program and our art program, too. So he's a published author. He's won a couple of awards. He also still does some, some art, uh, some sculpture, sculpture art. And he talks with us about his work in the creative arts, uh, what he learned at Hillsdale, how it helped him, and coming back to college to talk to current students about things that he has learned since leaving the school. All of that coming up tomorrow morning on the Radio Free Hillsdale Hour. All right, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week, and keep an eye on your inbox for that link. Ah, fantastic. Thanks so much. <laughs> for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.